uh, would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, hundreds and hundreds of people, sometimes over a thousand uh, every week joining us online. We are so glad you're joining us, as well as our friends in Arco, Idaho, and Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study today. Now, today, Kimberly and I are going to be speaking on parenting. And I just want to say right at the beginning, the last thing we want to do is to discourage anyone, especially on Mother's Day. That would not be cool. But I'll admit to you that most of the time when I hear talk on parenting, I leave depressed and discouraged because I'm like, oh man, there's so much more I should be doing. And, and I actually, you know, try to avoid parenting talks because it's like, oh man, I, I already know. I already feel inadequate. I don't need anybody to make me feel more inadequate. And I want you to know, we want this to be a time of encouragement to encourage you in the great work that God has called you to do. He's called imperfect people like Kimberly and me and everyone here to raise up children. My goodness, why did he think that was a good plan? But he did. And to pick me to be a dad and a grandfather. And I want you to know that we have been broken much of our time in our parenting. We are not speaking from unbroken success. We are speaking from brokenness. And, and we have been broken and, and feeling inadequate for much, much time of our parenting. I remember when our firstborn, Abby, uh, first uh, child we had was Abigail. And uh, oh my goodness, she was a strong-willed child. How many of you have strong-willed children? Or you had one, you either had one or you have one. And she was strong-willed. She was a sweet child, but she was very strong-willed. And I remember just being so broken, thinking, I'm just not good at this thing, parenting. I actually remember thinking... I guess you can't be good at marriage and parenting at the same time. Because Kimberly and I, marriage kind of came more naturally to us, but parenting, at least for me, did not. And I remember thinking, well, I guess you're good at one or the other, but just you can't be good at both. And for years, I never preached on parenting because I just didn't have the chutzpah because people are sitting in the church going, yeah, right, what are you going to say? Uh, we, we know you. We're not going to listen to anything you have to say. We actually had friends. This is back at our church, First Baptist Church of Homer, New York. And we actually had friends, and they had a very compliant firstborn, and we had a very strong-willed firstborn. And they used to come up to us kind of judgmentally and condescendingly and say, have you read James Dobson's book on strong-willed child? And we're like, read it! We've memorized it! We have it on three-by-five memorization cards all over our uh, house, yes. And so we, we prayed God's judgment on that family. And, 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 and God... God heard the cry of our hearts, and their secondborn was a nightmare. He was a terror. And so we went over and said, have you read the books? We got a book here for you. And we did not do that. We wanted to, but we did not. And they actually came to us later and apologized and said, you know what? We realized we did not know what we were talking about. Please forgive us. So let me encourage those of you with strong-willed children. They make great adults. They really make great adults. You, you hang in there. And another thing that's happened to us is we've had a tough parenting week. Last few days, we'd have a tough parenting week. And pastors that preach, they'll, they'll tell you that, uh, oh, that's the case. You all usually go through 
that week what you're preaching on that particular Sunday. And so because we're speaking on, uh, on, on, on this, you know, today on parenting, I mean, Satan was just after us, like, you're going to really talk about this? This is a joke, right? You know? And uh, so uh, because pastors always go through what they're preaching on, I want you to know the title of my sermon next Sunday is How to Handle It When Everything is Awesome. That's the, that's the because I'm just going to say, okay, God, Teach me what I need to know to share with your people. Um, that's a joke. That's not actually going to be what I'm going to preach on next Sunday. But uh, now, all of our children are very different. As your children are different, ours are very, very different. We have six children, uh, two son-in-laws, two daughter-in-laws, six grandchildren, and they're all very, very different. Uh, John and Natalia are missionaries in Peru. John's a chef, and Natalia's a doctor. Uh, Andrew is an air traffic controller, and Jessica is a homeschool mom. Uh, Leah is an English teacher and Aaron is a math teacher. Uh, Rebecca likes to work with people and Noah likes to work with his hands. Uh, Kenny is a lawyer for the Justice Department um, in Washington, D.C., and Abby is a legislative director uh, for Congress. As a matter of fact, here's a picture of the newest member of the, uh, of the other family. Um, this is in her mom's office. This is her visiting her mom's office. How do you like the view out the window there? That is just awesome. And uh, uh, she's sitting in the congressman's seat. But here she is serving her country at the age of one. This is a beautiful thing. We've asked Avonlea to clean up things in Washington, D.C., if she can do that uh, as soon as possible. So anyway, they're all very, very different. And all of them are different as your children and grandchildren are different. But uh, there are some biblical principles that apply to all of them. Well, we'd love to think of the idea that God created humans on the sixth day. And as incredible as it seems, he also thought up babies. So he prepared us for moms and dads and babies, and he prepared for babies to be raised in families. So when he's thinking all of this up, he obviously has a plan for generations to come and families being passed on and their values being passed on from generation to generation. And Funny as it is, he looked at all of that on the sixth day and all that he'd made, and he says, this is good. This is really, really good. He loved the idea of putting us together. So today we want to talk about understanding how God looks at parenthood. He looks at us and says, this is my gift to you, and then our gift back to him is giving those children back to him as well-raised, godly young people. So God sees your children as gifts to you. Psalm 127, verse 3. Uh, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. Now, I have to laugh on this word quiver because people debate about how many arrows are in a quiver, and it's everywhere from three to 24. But through the years, I've had people, either a father or mother, come to me and try to come up with a hardcore biblical number for quiver, and it's always one more child than they currently have because they're trying to convince the other spouse uh, to have that. So I'm so glad you never saw that 24 number on quiver, Kimberly, or maybe that's I, how many I we'd did, have. I but anyway, six, it is so. unclear. It, yeah, just six. Six is the uh, number than the quiver. So it, it just, uh, it is a number that we don't know how many arrows it is to be. That's individual for each person. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. 
Well, when you look at that verse, and of course it's a wonderful verse, when he talks about the word reward in verse 3, the idea that there are rewards seems like a funny word to use about a gift from God that's a child. But it's fun to think about that this is what God likes. He likes parenthood. They bring him pleasure. Children bring him pleasure. Families bring him pleasure. The idea of passing things along is his gift. And then, therefore, that that means that it's a source of joy. It's God's gift. Then he wants us to be happy. He only gives those good gifts. So he said, this is a good idea. And we want you to feel, he says, a joyful, incredible blessing. And it really sort of incorporates the idea that the more, the merrier. Sort of. James 1, verse 7, more the merrier. I know, you don't want one more, do you? Okay, no, I get are we done? More grandchildren. More grandchildren, okay, that's what you want. James 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Okay, Kimberly's gonna touch on this, but how many of you doubt that it's a good gift on, well, we don't either, we don't never do, hands. never do. Okay, <laughs> every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. The idea of shifting shadows, meaning things like as if God were to move back and forth, thinking up ideas and then forgetting he thought them up and coming and going like a shadow does. The Bible says that he only gives the best gifts, good gifts, perfect gifts, the perfect child for us, the perfect time for us. God's gifts do not move. They are not fleeting. They are not frivolous. He gave a lot of thought to this. Families are a good idea that he thought up. And the child that he puts in your home or in my home or the kids he puts in your life, nieces and nephews, they were not just a flit through his creative mind at one point, forgets that he gave you this responsibility and walks alone. We know that his gifts are his best idea. He knows what timing is best for us. He knows what plan, what child. Don't, if you don't think that having a baby, is, there's, this is the right time to have a child. Maybe you're in that situation. We need to remember that to God, this is the perfect time. This is the perfect child. His gifts are perfect. And he has no other, there's no other option because God can't be anything but good and perfect. And regardless of whether it's a surprise or not, I mean, my uh, parents told me to the day I died, or to the day I died, to the day they died, uh, that I was not a mistake. And uh, I, my sisters, when I were born, were 14 and 9. You do the math. How many of you with two little girls, 14 and 9, want a boy to come along? But my mother said to the very end, oh, no, you were never an accident. She went to heaven uh, with that, uh, that conviction telling yes. me that. Uh, Psalm Don't, 139. Oh, no, What's we're up? up still. I still have oh, something to say. Okay, okay, do you want go, to jump ahead? Go. Is no, this you how go. you do this I do week? not. I do not. You go ahead. You go ahead. I'm sorry. Don't let present circumstances determine the value of your child. The idea that whatever you're going through means this child isn't at the right time or this isn't good for our family. Uh, you've heard the phrase, we can't afford more children. Or we just started a new job or some, one of us just went back to get an education to get to finish our degree. Maybe your youngest just started back to school and you finally have that time where there's sort of an empty part of your more freedom. But God does not give uh, uh, bad gifts, as we said. He does not shift his gaze. He sees what we can't. He knows the future. What we see in this moment doesn't determine the value of his gift or his reward just because we don't say a see a way out of it. God never says, I love this, God never says oops. You know, God doesn't look and say, oh my gosh, how did that happen? You have a baby coming. Or oh my goodness, you know, your life's about to change. God doesn't do that. He knows the future and he makes a plan and he's there to help you fulfill it. Are you done now? Okay. Yes. 
If you pause, I'm going to jump done? in. If, Are we done? If you, they know how much I hate silence. So if you pause, I'm going to jump like right in. You know, mm-hmm. so, okay, there. But, you don't, but and we want to make this clear. We're not saying you're supposed to have another child. We're saying if it surprises you and you have one, God's not surprised by that, and that's a blessing. So we're not urging everybody to have one more child than they currently have, right? I just want to make that it's important. Okay, okay, yes. Maybe she is, but I'm not. Okay, here we go. I'm not. Psalm 139, uh, verse 15. David says, You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Verse 16. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before you, uh, before a single day had, had passed. Um, verse uh, 17, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God, they cannot be numbered. That comes back to that we continue the idea that God is never surprised by what might be a surprise to you. I love that idea that what surprises us is not a surprise to him. That means every day of our lives from beginning to end is what he had planned. That's a great idea, verse 16. I know that when I was younger, I I discovered this verse. I thought this was a really good idea. I love the idea that God knew every day of my life before one of them came to be. There was nothing that was gonna overcome me that he wasn't already there, already waiting for me, already gonna go through it with me. But when we had children, I remember this verse took on greater meaning because it helped me to realize every day of their lives was known by God. Every day was planned for them, including being a part of our family. Being a part of our family is what God knew was best for our child. That's a great idea, isn't it? That the child in your home does not surprise God, that 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 child was planned for you. This means so much to me when I think about our adopted children. We have four adopted kids. And I love the idea that even when they were growing in the womb of their birth mother, God was watching them, it says, in utter seclusion, watching them being woven together. Even though we weren't watching, we didn't know a baby was on the way. We didn't know what was going on. God did. As a matter of fact, can I tell that crazy story? First date, our first date. You interrupted. I did interrupt. I did interrupt. That's how you work, right? Okay, it's a good story. It's good. Crazy. We just figured this out years later. Do you know that on the day of our first date, our son John was born in Columbia, South America? Is that amazing? Is that crazy? And that's why an angel doesn't appear and say, I hope you're having a good first date. Thou dost have a son being born in Columbia, South America right now. It would have been like, ah, run right out the door. So, okay, you're, I'm done now. I'm done now. Keep going. Keep going. That's a good story, though, wasn't it? No, it's true. June 21st, 1982, exactly. our first date. Exactly. We'll never forget. So when I think about Noah and Rebecca, for example, or John or, or Andrew being knit together that day, June 21st, God saw our kids We didn't even know that they existed. We didn't know we were going to adopt. But God knew that they would be our children, our gift from him. Isn't that awesome to think that that's true of every child, every child that he creates, including us. You're somebody's child, and God prepared every day for you in advance. Nothing surprises him. Now, here are some ideas uh, for doing this well. Uh, First of all, number one, thank God daily for each one of your children by name 
and acknowledge that every day of their lives is a gift from God made especially for you. And I like to try to make it a habit that as I'm driving into work every day to pray for each of my children uh, and grandchildren by name and and son-in-law and daughter-in-laws by name. Now, I have to admit, this convicted me because I don't spend much time thanking God for them. It's more praying for them because you know how it is. There's always something going on you can pray for. I love what Irma Bombeck said, which one of your children is your favorite children? Who's your favorite child? The one that needs me the most at any given time. Isn't that good? Who's your favorite child? The one that needs you the most. And so which child do you pray for? Uh, the, the one that needs you the most. But number one, thank God daily for each of your children. Number two, Well, as we were just talking about that um, Psalm 139, is to share that concept, share the principles of Psalm 139 with your kids and remind them often that God knew that you'd be a family and how fun it would be that he knew it even before any of you were born. So your family, when you have those stresses and strifes and whatever, you say to your child, you know what? God knew that you were going to be my kid. God knew that I was going to be your mom. God knew this was going to be your family. That's not just something we made up. That's in Psalm 139. And I have this really corny thing that I do. Um, When something's going on in our home, and I've been doing it for years, and sadly I still do it with the 30-year-olds, I say, isn't it fun to be a Gunder son? Yeah. That goes over. The thirty-year-olds love it when she does that. You know what's funny? Even the little grandkids are starting to love it now. But you know what's great is that that's like a little theme of our team. Your family is a team, and so how great it is to keep enforcing that concept that we all belong in that family. The number three: describe over and over to your child the positive events surrounding his or her birth. If your child is adopted, share the story of the excitement that accompanied his or her arrival into your family. Here's our little boy, Andrew, in the orphanage where we adopted him in Cali, Colombia, and South America. So here he is with all of his little orphanage uh, friends uh, the day that we met him. And then the first time he had had a mom and met a mom, and uh, he um, and he's not here. He's at 11-11 service. Yeah, but he he's was, a mama's boy, and he has always been a mama's boy. He's seven and a half in that he's picture. He's seven and a half in that picture. And this is the first time that he and, and Kimberly had met. And here we are six. arriving uh, in the United States, uh, flying. Um, yes. And so you can see Kimberly's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, Lord, help us, please. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was just noticing that picture yesterday. And I'm like, ah. And she's like, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, ah. Okay, never mind. Number four. Wait, can I see some about that yeah. picture? Is that little guy, that little fellow that you just saw in that photograph? We, don't, we never saw him as a baby. We didn't see him, meet him until he was seven and a half. But he has two little girls now, and his youngest daughter looks exactly like that. Yeah, just like that. It's yeah. so much fun because we never saw him being woven together, but God did, and God, isn't that fun? Yeah, Do we see him? Never see mind, that's really taken a long time. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> let your children know that they are a joy and an answer to your prayers. Remind yourself of that frequently. I was thinking how those days when you walk up and down the hallway in the middle of the night with a crying baby, and you just have, God, this is a joy. God, I asked for this. God, I prayed for this. You gave me this child. This is a joy. And and then, of course, that happens when you have a difficult exchange with one of your teenagers, and you're walking up and down the hall, and you're you're the one crying, saying, God, I asked for this. God, it's a good idea to remind yourself of that frequently. Number five, initiate conversations with your kids on topics you know are of interest to them. 
ask genuine questions, make eye contact, and comment on what they have to say, which leads us to number six. Okay, number six is let them teach you something about which they are passionate, even if it doesn't interest you. Now, a great example of this, if you know our daughter, Abby, you know that she is a scrapbook-aholic. She loves to scrapbook. She's good at scrapbooking. She started back in high school when it was all the rage, I don't know, 15 years ago. She asked me to do it with her. She said, Mom, well, can we scrapbook? And, of course, I think she wanted me to pay for it. But um, I have no artistic ability. I have no craft sense. I don't even have a Pinterest board. I mean, I'm not even sure what Pinterest is, somebody told me. But it was important to her. So at age 16, when things were a little... That strong-willed child was still a strong-willed teenager. But you know what? Every scrapbook night... Every scrapbook convention, every scrapbook store in the known universe, I wanted to be a part of that. I spent too much money. I owned too much scrapbook paraphernalia. And, uh, well, you know what? We asked her about her scrapbook collection. We have this many of her scrapbooks that she doesn't even like anymore. This is not even half. There's just half of them. Just I asked her this morning. She said she has approximately 20 scrapbooks that she's made in her life. And that was like, not. what do you even scrapbook about when you're 16? But she was a prolific scrapbooker. I brought mine. <laughs> and, and there's like He and thinks like this is so funny. Yeah. One of them's not even half done. Yeah. So, you know, you can see, but it was spending time with her doing what she liked and letting her be good and letting her help me. That seemed to be real important in her teenage years. And then number seven, uh, get into the James 1, 19, verse 19 habit. Uh, where James says, and Pastor Brian preached on this last Sunday, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now, we, that's good for all of us, right? That's true for all of us in the body of Christ. But boy, it's particularly good for, for parenting, isn't it? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and, and slow to get angry. Boy, that's particularly important for us uh, as parents and as grandparents. Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 8, raising your children well is your gift to God. Love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all that you've got. Write these commandments that I've given you uh, today on your hearts. Uh, I love the way the message paraphrase says this. Get them inside of you and then get them inside of your children. Okay, it's hard to get them inside of our children until they're inside of us. Get them inside of you and then get them inside your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. These principles are uh, specifically challenging, I think, when you consider the fact that our children are just on loan to us. They're on loan to us. They do not belong to you. They're God's gift to you, as we just said, and they're our gift back to God. So then his principles, raising them according to his principles, makes so much sense if they're his. Um, We are to talk about God, talk about him freely in our homes. Uh, When we wake him up in the morning, just start the day. That's challenging, but start the day and and sing or do what you need to do in the car, when you're eating dinner, Uh, talk about the Lord, talk about your day and how God was in it sing scripture, uh, talk about Bible stories, memorize scripture. Um, When you're giving your baby a bath, even then, or changing diapers, be talking about the Lord, singing songs and and telling Bible scripture. Putting your children to bed, that might be an obvious one to pray together, but hear about their day and talk about what God is teaching you so they can hear about your life. And you know when you have teenagers, pray with your teenagers. 
Pray with them. Ask about their day and help them to, to go into their school day, as we often do, and, and the student that might be giving them a challenge. Pray with your teenager about that. Help them to see that God has a plan for their day. It isn't the church that is this verse is given to. This verse is given to parents. We are to train them. This is a verse for your family. We are to raise them to love God. We have been given this as parents, this command, to love him with their whole hearts as well as our own. Hebrews 12 verse 1, totally cool. I love the message paraphrase here. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blaze the way, Camille and the choir in their song, talked about those heroes that have gone in front of us. All these veterans cheering us on. It means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. I love this phrase. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race that we're in. That's saying that it is hard work. When you're training for a marathon, you don't expect it to be easy. It's hard work to train up children who will live their lives dedicated to the Lord. This is our race. We're not waiting for them to unfold and see who they are. We're not waiting to see if we just drop them and see where they land. We need to have a plan for training our kids. It is hard work building up, getting ready for the long haul. But to do that, Jesus must be our guide for our lives and for our parenting. He doesn't say do it alone. When they're given to us as a gift, he sticks around. He sticks around to have it happen. We can expect because he created our children, because he put us in families, that he has an idea about how that works out best. Because one day, you know, we're going to finish the race and we're going to turn them over to God. And I'm sure you've heard it if you're younger and those of you who've been through it, we know it goes way too fast doesn't it? You turn around and they're launched and you're standing back like we've done now as our kids are older and kind of stand there and think, how did we do? How did we do? And of course, we did a lot of things wrong. I mean, we're still doing things wrong. You know, it's not like you ever um, are perfect in your parenting, but you do turn them back and we won't always be in charge of of their growth, but we want them to grow up to live godly lives. I would say that this is the prize for a marathon well run, that we would say that the training and the raising and the effort and the energy all pays off when we see them walking with Jesus Christ in godliness. I heard something so cool. Last week, I was at our daughter and son-in-law's church back in Washington, D.C., and the pastor said something just awesome about the legend of King Arthur. And, and he said that when they would come back after battle, the knights of the round table would gather around the, the round table and King Arthur would say, show me your scars, show us your scars. And everybody would show their scars from battle and they would share those. And if they didn't have that many scars before they went into battle, the next time uh, they went into battle, King Arthur would challenge his, his men, go get some scars, go out there and get some scars. And that's what I would challenge you to do. You as parents... You've already got scars on your heart, don't you? You've already got scars on your soul. It's a hard thing. It's a marathon. It's a race. It is difficult. And you've got some scars to show for it. But let let us just encourage you, hang in there. Go get some more scars. And when we get to heaven, we're going to sit around and Jesus is going to say, show me, show me your scars. 
And there are going to be scars in all types of different areas of the Christian life, but included in those will be parenting scars and grandparenting. We are called to parent our children, to grandparent our grandchildren. Uh, Aunts and uncles, we're called to invest in our nieces and nephews. Church, we are called to invest in the next generation. And we are to gather some scars and and, and, and difficulties and, and adjustments in reaching the next generation. And Jesus is going to say, show me your scars. And of course, none of the scars that we have compare to the scars that he has. But I would challenge us as parents, as a church, trying to reach the next generation, let's go out and get some scars. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. You've heard me, Paul says, teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Our most important role as parents is to pass along our faith to the next generation. It's that baton. We're in that race, but the race is won by passing the baton to the next generation and to have them have that faith. You know, you're going to teach your kids a lot of good things as they're growing up, and that's the way it's supposed to be. There's so many things that you're good at, that you love, that you want to share with your children. But the one thing, the one thing that we pass on to our children behind all those other gifts of knowledge and fun and pleasure is that their eternal salvation is the most important gift we pass on to our children. It's the one thing that's going to last for eternity. Anything we do here is going to be done better in heaven. Fly fishing and piano playing and soccer and, you know, everything that we do here will be done better in heaven. But my goodness, seeing heaven for themselves, once again, it is part of the plan for running this race. We do this, now how do we do that, Kimberly? Uh, We do this by ingraining in them the sense that they themselves are ultimately responsible to God. You see, they don't, we help them on their way, we send them in the right direction, but it's ultimately their responsibility to build their relationship with God. So we ingrain in them that need for Jesus, that need to know him and trust in him. They see that in us. They see that in us and then they choose to be accountable to him for their own race. They will one day be responsible to raise their own children. That's, That's it. I think it's, probably, it's probably been the most shocking and horrifying thing of yes, adulthood. Exactly. Is it to turn a... our grandchildren over to our children? I mean, ah! yeah, yeah, exactly. We don't even refer to them as our children anymore. They're the caretakers of our grandchildren. It's like, uh, let's go see, name the grandchild, and those people that take care of her. I can't quite remember their names. What's kind of scary is they're watching. Yes, exactly. So So, I should not have said that. Okay, I apologize. Um, But one day they will be raising your grandchildren. And here are the six. Do we have the six? that they? There they are. That's who they're going to be raising. That's who we will entrust to them. Just had four come in a 10-month period, and they'll be responsible to to raise their own children. I love your analogy that, like, in the same way you don't want to always be doing their laundry for them, you want to teach them to do their own laundry, even though you haven't taught me how to do that yet, but uh, that's a little secret. This is the washer. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's it's really bad. I'm not even kidding. I didn't know. Yes, yes. Wives, if your husband knows how to do the laundry, you are so far ahead of me. You've got got the greatest guy in the world, I'm telling you, Uh, but, but. But in the same way, you don't want to keep teaching them to do the laundry. You don't want them to keep being responsible. For, you don't want you to be responsible for their spiritual condition. You want them to they go after that. They need to hunger and thirst for righteousness on the, themselves. On themselves yeah. Yeah. Now, some ideas for doing this well. Uh, number one, accept the fact that your children are on loan from God, and that in truth, you are raising them for him and his purposes. 
you need to explain that um, concept, that uh, perspective of responsibility to your children and how it relates to your relationship with them. Your job is to be the parent. That's not always going to be popular. As we saw in that skit, you're not supposed to be their friend because you have a responsibility to raise them. I think if you explain that to your children, I think it does make things a lot um, more understandable for them to be sure that they understand that you've been given an obligation from God. This is your relationship with God to train them well. You are accountable to God for training them well. I mean, think about that. You let your kids know, hey, you may not like what I'm doing, but I got to tell you, based on God's word, I have an answer to him for when he sees you, when you stand before him, how well I raised you. Now, God help us to do that well. That's not easy, as we've said, but that, let your kids know that so they understand that this is a commitment you have made before God. So when we do that, we dedicate ourselves to putting in the hard work, energy, time that it will take to do this well, oh my goodness, to raise godly kids. There are some things you're just going to have to say no to for a while. Some hobbies that may not, you may not have time for, some activities that are going to have to take a back seat or find another way as a family to incorporate them. But there's an element of sacrifice um, in raising these children for this period of time that God has given us to do our jobs well. Which leads us to maybe the most important two points of the morning. Uh, Number five, determine that God's word will be your guideline by which you will raise your children. Despite what the world says, you and your family will follow the Lord. And this is where you have to be countercultural. And that leads us to number six, which maybe is the most important point of the morning. Emphasize the development of Christian character over the development of skills, talents, gifts, or abilities. Now, I know the pressure of Southern California parenting culture. We've been there. We've done that. We've been through that. And there's tremendous pressure to develop skills, talents, gifts, or abilities, hoping one day that your child will have a job. And, and I understand that. Or get into school, and there's pressure about athletic abilities and music abilities and academic abilities. We get that, and, and we think that's important, and we should be investing in, in, in those things. But I'm telling you, and this is not just because we're, I'm pastor and pastor's wife. It's not just because of that. It's because we've watched families for 30, 40 years. We've watched them. And I'm telling you, at the end of the day, it is the development of Christian character that will bring out these things and support those things. These things without this will end not well. This Christian character will lead to this as well. Make that the most important thing. Jesus said in Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom, the development of Christian character in your children, and his righteousness, and all these other things, talents, abilities, skills, will be given to you and your children as well. So I urge you as your pastor, not just because I'm a pastor professionally, but because I'm a Christian dad non-professionally. And I guarantee you I am an amateur at that. Okay. But I'm telling you, just from what we've seen for 30 or 40 years, those of you with young children, have them here every Sunday, not just every other Sunday or once every three Sundays or even two out of three. Have them here every Sunday so God's word can be hidden in their hearts. Have them involved in fifth, sixth ministry, junior high ministry, high school ministry. When they get to be of high school age, research shows the most important determining factor as to whether they will continue to follow Jesus as have they been in adult services. Because the problem is too many of our kids become youth group junkies 
and they never connect, connect with the overall church. And so as soon as high school's over, statistics show it's flip a coin. Flip a coin. Half of our kids, uh, if they haven't been connected with an adult service, half will walk away, half will stay. And we're not willing to flip the coin on our kids, are we? Amen. We're not willing to do that. It's too important to flip a coin. And so you get them into uh, adult services like this, starting in high school, where they sit with us in, in church here. So they connect, they fall in love with the general church, not just the youth group uh, church. And then you get them involved in serving, finding places to serve. When they're in high school and beyond, find them a place to serve. And then, of course, training them within the family as well. You know, I think that this boils down to as well is to make a list of the character qualities that you would like to see developed in your children. So, of course, we're talking about all the other skills and talents that Glenn's been mentioning, but to begin praying and seeking out ways, therefore, to build Christian character. Would you like to see your child be merciful? Then find opportunities for them to practice mercy. Maybe you'll work with the homeless ministry or, or work with our after-school ministry and tutoring and have your kids experience that. Maybe you want them to grow in grace or maybe you want them to grow in patience. Now give them opportunities. In our family, by adopting younger kids, it gave our older kids an opportunity for patience and long-suffering. And, and so to see those Christian characteristics to grow up inside of them that will last through all of their lives, whatever they do, whatever occupation, they will have that godly Christian character. Now, so we're going to fo follow this up by just ending with uh, to pray for God to give you insight and wisdom when your abilities and your patience and your perseverance run out and you find those insecurities welling up within you. Those happen to us every day. Like Glenn said, this was a hard week. Every day this week, I felt inadequate as a mom. I mean, I cried and cried because I thought, God, what am I doing? I'm no good at this. Why have you asked this of us? We're no good. And God says, you know what? I didn't ask you to do this alone. You know, they say, um, God never gives you more than you can handle. Oh, yes, he does. He gives you way more than you can handle because if you could handle it on your own, you wouldn't need him. You need Jesus to help you raise your children. You cannot do a good job alone. And even with him, I don't know how people do it without him when you think about it. So ask Jesus to come into your family, into your lives, into your heart, into the lives of your children, and say, Lord, help us to become less flawed. Help us to become more like you, Jesus, and help our children to see Jesus lived out in our home, especially through our parenting. God has given his best gifts to us, our children. Let us give the best of ourselves to raising them well, so we can give them back to him.